welcome back to the Comic Obsessive Podcast. I'm Adam Piles. And I'm Jason Dehart. And today we are in our 24th episode. And it's been a while. It's been a while since we've, we've done one of these. And that's my fault. I'll take total credit for that. Oh, no, 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 no. We No blame shifting. No blame shifting. You are a busy dad. You are a teacher. You are doing all the things and reading comics all the time as well. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a busy fall, um, but I'm glad we're back doing this. Uh, I'm excited about Secret Origins special number one from 1989. This is a Jason pick right here. Yes, Jason, yes. tell us about Secret Origins special number one. Absolutely. Well, it was in a small town as so many of these stories start. And I remember that there was the local magazine stand at the corner store and right around the time that I was discovering comics, there was this issue peeking back at me and sort of glowing. You can picture it in your mind, dear listener, mm. sort of sort of glowing there, sitting on that shelf. Uh, and my parents were nice enough to get it for me, along with the gallon of milk or whatever else we needed at the store. And so I'm Secret kinda, Origins. I'm kind of imagining you going up to it like Indiana Jones. And it's in the spotlight and you're rubbing your jaw trying to figure out how to get it off the the stand without you know the big ball rolling towards you exactly exactly yeah that, that's totally it except it was more of like the mcdonald's ball pit which was also part of my childhood okay they remember they discontinued those it's the you know yeah. it seems like it was a, probably not the best idea to have kids rolling around in a mysterious surface but uh anyway i digress it was um, a pit. yeah it was it was not <laughs> not pleasant in those things Everybody wanted to find the loose diaper. Yep. Um, but <laughs> and we all did. Every yes, one of us. Absolutely. Rite of passage. But yeah, Secret Origin special. I did not realize that it was something out of like the major Batman books or whatever was being published at the time. And so discovered this book, was scared of parts of it, fascinated by other parts of it, and just enjoyed it a great deal as a young reader. So I was glad to bring it back for this episode so shall i do a couple of the creative shout outs to the people who were involved in this amazing adventure yeah now because i read it from the dc uh the, the dc app mm -hmm. and there was a creator name that i did not see anywhere in the book but i'm maybe i missed it so you tell us the creators for this Yep, yep. So what I've got, and this is coming from the DC database, because there, this is more of an anthology kind of book. Um, so the executive editor of the whole thing was someone named Dick Giordano, uh, cover artist Brian Balland. Uh, and then there are these sort of like four parts of the story. So one of those parts is sort of the, the frame narrative of the thing the frame narrative that holds it all together. And that is by some guy named Neil Gaiman, who also yes. contributed a Riddler origin story to the book. And then along the way, you've got pencilers like Mike Hoffman, Sam Keith, who also inked his piece, Bernie Meralt and Pat Broderick uh, being inked by Dick Giordano. And then Mark Wade being the editor on those individual parts of the book. And then you also have inks by Kevin Nolan, as well as uh, someone named Matt Wagner. Yeah, whoever that is. Um, and then, let's see, who else am I missing? Colorist, Tom McGraw, not Tim McGraw, but Tom McGraw, Joe Matt, 
Uh, and letters. They're not listed here. Oh, okay. Augustin Moss. The letters are not listed on all of the, the parts of the issue. That's kind of interesting. And Todd Klein. So lots of creative talent being featured in this book. The original date on this book was October 1989. So truly just a few months after um, Tim Burton and Michael Keaton rocked the world with the first Batman film in theaters there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> which, um, I don't know, how, how do you want to start with this? You want to start talking about the stories? Um, I guess I could tell my uh, connection to Secret Origins. It was the, the Flash issue. Mm -hmm. It was, mm -hmm. I think it was the first annual. <clears throat> I was always a big Flash fan. And so it had uh, a conversation with Wally West and a psychiatrist. And then, because um, he was trying to like, you know, live up to uh, Barry's legacy. And then it had the Golden Age Flash's uh, like first issue. And then it had a retelling of Silver Age. Barry's uh -huh. origin. Uh -huh. And so I was already kind of a fan of secret origins. I always enjoyed these things, especially in the pre-internet days, you know, uh -huh. before all the cartoons as well and the movies and the CW shows. And it, now it seems like <clears throat> all these origins are just part of, you know, the pop culture spectrum. It seems like everybody to some degree kind of knows where these characters come from. But as a kid, I love these things because it explained a whole lot to me that I didn't mm -hmm. understand, you know, mm -hmm. um, it's like <clears throat> reflecting on that flash issue, uh, figuring out how Barry Allen and Jay Garrick connected and then what happened to Barry Allen. Um, because when I started picking up flash, it was Wally West. So yeah, the secret origins issues were really handy. Um, I didn't see too many of them just out in the wild, but I did see that flash one uh, somewhere and I picked it up. But this was a great one. Um, I, I reread that one as well. I actually read it for the first time. I don't think I'd ever um, come across it before. And Mike Collins was the penciler on that first part of the story, too. Yeah. Yep. I think that's right. Yep. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. But this one is the Secret Origin Special Number One featuring not the heroes, which I think yeah. is kind of interesting. It's the villains. Yeah. And Batman kind of plays a background part, but yeah. uh, there's kind of that interesting thing of what happens because the, the central kind of conceit of the thing is that there's this reporter that is going around and trying to put together the secrets of the the origins of the villains one of my other favorite secret origins by the way is issue 44 that goes into the mud pack the clay faces which kind of oh. goes with a similar thing and is also scary in parts as well um and it, it's kind of a dark series of stories did you did you find it to be kind of dark i found it really <clears throat> i found it really dark and interesting and especially for 1989 you know, I mean, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you already mentioned the, the Tim Burton Batman and how it, you know, kind of changed things. But I think, especially at that point, you know, comics still had such a um, kid reputation. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That with the general population, they were known to be kid stuff. But I think any adult who read this <clears throat> might have been a little surprised by how kind of dark and psychological 
yeah. some of these stories were. They actually kind of reminded me of um, X-Men Classic. Did you ever read the X-Men Classic series? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. I loved the X-Men Classic series because in the back of the comic, you know, because the X-Men Classic came out at a time when comics were longer than the original stories were. So they supplemented them with those backup stories. And sometimes they were about the villains and sometimes they went in this kind of direction, that kind of psychological, darker tone to the stories that kind of quite honestly challenged me as a kid to kind of wrap my head around what was going on. You know, it was not, let's go beat up the bad guy. It was, it was some psychological stuff going on in some of those stories. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, as I said, I remember being sort of frightened by this book, but, but in the best way of being frightened, I think, as a kid, um, especially Sam Keith's take on the penguin that freaked me out. And there's this, this panel with like this baby bird, um, sort of like emerging from an egg and everything. And I don't know what it was, the way he drew that, um, so like fleshy and realistic, uh, did it kind of freaked me out as a kid but i kept reading it of course right sam's keith art you know it could be really um kind of freakish and and not graphic but jarring almost you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it seemed like this was 89 this was maybe before he kind of like took the reins off or maybe just before he evolved but when he got around to like 90, 91, 92 with um, the Marvel, what was it called? Marvel Comics Presents Wolverine and Ghost Rider. And when he was really pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. with like structure and, and, and anatomical structure and, and just form and shape on the page. Here it was a little more realistic, but it didn't mean that it was any less odd. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was It was very dark. Well, I love that move from one artist to another because you've got that like opening section, which takes about the first eight pages where you got like the frame narrative and it's like, okay, so this is what's happening with an origin story. And then we've got that straight jump right into uh, the Penguin story, which is also by, that's by Alan Grant. And uh, it's kind of interesting, you know, you just compare those two pages and one thing I'll point out between pages eight and nine is I love the panel work. I love the the creative approach that both of these artists took to the panels mm-hmm. because you've got like this sort of TV screen panel right. thing happening, which really kind of conveys, okay, we're talking about a journalist here. And yep. then, yeah, the, the very next page, you've got kind of this interesting, almost like an eye-like circle panel and it has an owl and there are parts of the owl's eyes in there. And uh, it's just really interesting work. I like the, <clears throat> the title of it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a throwback, right? The killing peck instead of the killing joke. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and one of the other things in this book that reminds me of the killing joke is Neil Gaiman's story about the Riddler because um, did, did you read any of the One Bad Day series this past year? No, I did not. It's, it's a decent series. I haven't read all of the books, but they were kind of like standalone one-shots about the various and sundry Batman villains, and it would be like 
this character one bad day, which of course is a throwback to the killing joke. Right. Um, can I do my Mark Hamill impression here? Is yeah, let's hear it. Okay, cool, cool. I'll, I'll try to, I hope it's good. Um, but you know, there's that part in the killing joke where more or less it's, it is the origin of the Joker. And essentially he says one bad day. And it's just that, <laughs> like that moment uh, of yeah, something that good. happens in, Oh, thanks. Thanks. Uh, something that happens in your life and, you know, then you don't recover from it. You don't encounter the people that are kind enough to help you through it or whatever it happens to be. And right. so that's kind of the tragic part of that story for the Joker. But the, the story that I really connect to with this book is the Riddler story in one bad day, okay. because I feel like you read both of those stories. And by the end, you're still like, now who is this guy? Is he right. actually telling us the truth? Um, which with Neil Gaiman is of course a really interesting uh, take and a gifted storyteller from you know the work of and the mind of Neil Gaiman. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Then the I was wondering which one he had written because <clears throat> I think on the DC app, just like the comic itself, I don't think it says for this one. It says for the last one, mm -hmm. uh, the, the last story, but it doesn't say the creators for the when is a door. When is a door? That's just what it's called. Yeah. The secret origin of the Riddler. <clears throat> so I was wondering which one he had written, but now that you say that it was this one, I can I can get that sense of storytelling from it. I'm not like a the biggest Neil Gaiman expert, but I, I can see. I feel like his his fingerprints on this. Yeah, um, yeah. And he also wrote the like the outer story that contains the three about the journalist. Yeah, and of course, there's a nice little payoff at the end with that, but we won't ruin that right now. We won't yeah, it's, it's worth the read for that alone, I would say. Yeah, I, I would say so. Um, I'm just like flipping back through looking at this Sam Keith art, though, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's so good. Like his use of shadow and everything. I'm looking at the, um, <clears throat> uh, they're not numbered on the DC app. Uh, but the page where it's like a a view of the penguin's face, and it's kind of like looking down on him, and he's looking up at the camera, if you mm -hmm. will, mm -hmm. and just that that use of of dark uh, shading his face, and uh, almost almost putting him in a spotlight right there. Yeah, yeah. And then anytime Sam Keith draws Batman, uh, I'm there for it, and that that image of Batman on the gargoyle a couple mm -hmm. of pages before that. That's just beautiful stuff. Yeah. It could be like, if you were going to choose an iconic image of Batman, that could be, a, that could be a contender with those um, spotlights in the back. And then I also love the panelists sort of drop into the Batmobile down there at the bottom mm -hmm. of the page as well. Yep. Absolutely. <clears throat> um, but you know, we didn't even really talk about the cover too much. Um, and the cover is worth talking about. Yeah, I mean Brian Bolin art. It's uh, his art is always so noticeable. Is not the right word, but you always know when Brian Bolin has uh, drawn an image. It's like I would say he, in my opinion, he's like one of the more realistic cartoonists. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like he still uses the cross hatching and like some of the hallmarks of maybe some of the other artists of the eighties and nineties, but there's just something he really captures 
a realistic uh, appearance to his stuff. Like that, that Riddler and Penguin face on the cover, mm-hmm. those are striking. You know what I mean? Like those would yeah. jump out at me um, off of the off the stand. They they're just very different compared to what you were seeing at that time. And like his use of cross hatching, like on Penguin's coat, it's just amazing. It's so detailed, mm-hmm. but it mm-hmm. creates such a illusion of reflection on his black coat. That's just that's good stuff. You oh know? yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's just that, amazing. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just gonna say, and with the the silhouette of Batman there, that kind of sets them off. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely a uh, an image that captures those three villains, those three characters, and uh, I'm sure it was one of the things that grabbed me as a reader of this book as well. Yeah, and look at all the the cr- um, cross hatching and the and just the line work he did on the money in the background. You know that mm-hmm. that took such a long <clears throat> long time for him to do, or at least I would imagine it did. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, speaking of the killing joke, which sort of, you know, continues to be a, a theme in this episode, um, more, much more of his artwork to enjoy in that book as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love um, the opening shot of Batman climbing mm-hmm. up the, the side of the building with the, the moon behind him in the clouds at the, like, whatever, 45 degree angle. Um, yeah. I, I love that. And diving out the window on the next page with the decidedly not Todd McFarlane cape. The cape has boundaries there, um, so you can see his form, but uh, but also a really interesting image. That's true, and like I love the Todd McFarlane version of Batman with the big ears and the and the cape that's almost a character in mm-hmm. of itself, you know. But I also have always loved this version of Batman too. That's a little more it's a little tighter, you know, yeah. like, like when you're looking at his face there on the second page, um, it's not exaggerated. It looks like a guy in a mask, you know, it, mm-hmm. that looks almost realistic too, but, <clears throat> but impressive, impressive stuff. Some really interesting artwork in the, the Riddler story as well with some of those objects. They're on this weird sort of, stage where <clears throat> there's almost all of this play thing, all of this play stuff that the Riddler has. And just interesting how they arranged that. There's one panel where it kind of looks like a question mark. There are panels where you don't see the Riddler's face. There are panel panels where he's upside down. Um, so it's it's kind of playful and interesting in its own way as well. And uh, some really creative and interesting things that happen with the art in that section. You know, it reminds me, I've already said the X-Men classic connection, but there was a backup story um, <clears throat> in one of the issues for um, Arcade. Do you know Arcade from Marvel? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I know the one you're talking about. I think. Okay. I, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of imagery, I feel like, in this Riddler story that uh, really matches up with the arcade story as well. It's almost like you could almost swap out the panels, like especially the one of the worm with the big <laughs> eyes. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. looks like it kind of came directly from that story. I mean, not 
not really, but it looks like it could be in that story and not miss a beat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm just kind of, I'm thumbing through and just comparing these stories out a little bit. Which character do you find from the origin? Like, do you relate to any of them differently based on reading the story? Do I relate to them? Yeah. Do you like not relate, but do you see them in like a new light based on the story? Um, I would say the Riddler. Um, Uh I would say, you know, it's kind of funny. All these characters were created so, so long ago and they were just kind of a gag when they were created. You know, I don't think mm-hmm. probably creators thought that they would be still the, the stars of stories uh, decades and decades and decades later. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, the Riddler was probably just a gag like, Oh, he likes riddles. Kids <laughs> like, rid- you know, kids like riddles. We'll, we'll put in the Riddler. So, yeah, yeah. And, but as time has gone on, these characters have developed more of a psychological depth and complexity. And I wonder if it's just exploring the characters, or I wonder if like the people who grew up with them just don't want to let them go. And so we keep trying to legitimize them by making them right. d- deeper character. You know what I mean? And so yeah. just, oh, he's a riddle guy. But now he's this very, you know, very mental, very psychological story going on here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you've got, um, I mean, Paul Dano now writing these very psychological, intense Riddler books uh, with, I think it's called Riddler Year One or something like that, his current series. Okay. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, of course, his portrayal of the character being really psychological and and in parts pretty disturbing but uh yeah it's almost like creators asking the question well why would a guy dress like that and why would why would a character do these things and then you get this really interesting psychological origin story the riddler year one indeed yeah yeah i gotta say also the two-face that issue um there was some panel in it where it talks about kind of projecting the whole idea of Two-Face on Batman, right? Because he is a guy mm-hmm. behind a mask. And I never, I mean, you know, we always think about Batman's dual identity when you're reading those stories and it, how, how it's explored. But to see him go up against a villain named Two-Face when he is Two-Faced himself, right? He's right is the night and then he's also <laughs> bruce wayne you know so it's kind of fun to think of that kind of dichotomy between the, the characters but one thing i was going to say though is that one of my intros i guess it probably was like my first intro to batman really was an old issue of batman where he fought two-face um he was like on two-face's trail and it had to do there was a lot to do with like a tv studio um in that story and i know it's not but this little tale brought me right back to that because there is that little uh segment where they're in the tv studio and even the art is a little like especially the color scheme of it it's kind of the color scheme of that old batman story so it kind of brought me back to that but Mm -hmm. you know on a on a darker level with the uh with the threatening of his 
former wife, I guess. And just, um, yeah, very, very different take on the character. And Mark for Hayden, I can't remember if I said his name at the beginning, uh, but he's the person that, that wrote the Two-Face story. So um, a, another writer that's been accomplished and does interesting work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, <clears throat> since this was your, uh, your pick, I think mm-hmm. you get to, I get, you get to do the spoiler here at the end of it. Are you going to spoil it for everybody? Well, I, what I'll say is that there is a major Batman villain who is sort of playing in the shadows of the story. And so, uh, by the end of the story, the reporter figure who is just sort of innocently questioning with his with his Patrick Bateman eighties hairdo. Check yeah. that out. Um, <laughs> he he meets his uh, comeuppance, and uh, you'll see this if you read the issue in the very last panel. It's a vertical panel on the very last page, and uh, we see that villain in the background. Uh, I imagine being somewhat struck that he wasn't part of this reportage. Um, so kind of kind of interesting there and some definite comeuppance and uh, pretty, I would say, grotesque imagery of that reporter yeah. as well. Absolutely. It's How did I do describing that without spoiling it? I think you did a great job. We try, we try. Yeah. Uh, so I've got a, a question. Here. And we can talk about some other parts of the issue if you like, but I am curious if, if you yourself, Adam, have a secret origin. I have a secret origin? Yes. Um, I don't think I have a secret origin. I think I'm I'm uh, about as wide open as you can you can be with uh, my past. Um, yeah, no, yeah. no, no secret origin for me. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, you know, other than being born in a small town, um, crash landed on Earth in a rocket ship, just just the usual kind of stuff. Usual stuff, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah, just all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I should say there's, I was looking into the history of Secret Origins because I think it was relaunched with um, New 52. And I didn't realize that Secret Origins was sort of this long running on again, off again series it dates back to 1961 oh okay yeah yeah didn't realize that um and interesting and you know in the past few months dc's been relaunching a lot of their titles with new number ones and mini series mini series um and all of those kind of things so kind of interesting that secret origins has been uh sort of a background that comes and goes uh, and apparently this run that started in, I think, the, the 70s and went through the 80s is probably the best known or most loved of the of the runs. Yeah, I don't think I knew that it was earlier than that. I thought it started in the 80s. You say 70s and 80s or just like 80s? I believe 70s as well. I believe yeah. it was, was yeah. out in the 70s. Yeah. Um, so something that's been around off and on sort of playing in the background of DC for a little while. I really liked this one page in the Riddler story because this is 1989. Um, And so this is just a few years after 1986. And a lot of people say 1986 is 
one of those kind of watershed moments in comics where like you had the Watchmen <clears throat> come out and you had um, uh, not the Dark Knight Return. Yeah, the Dark Knight Returns. Um, and, you know, a lot of people kind of say that that was another evolution, another change in comics to where they got darker. And I just, I enjoy this page uh, of the Riddler story. And I wonder if it was a little, little meta, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where he is like kind of questioning things and he goes, where did they all go? Batman and Robin were uh, part of the fun. They were the straight men, but we were the stars. No one ever hurt anybody. Not really. Nobody died. And then he thinks, you look around these days, it's all different. It's all changed. The Joker's killing people, for God's sake. Did I miss something? <laughs> Was I away when they changed the rules? I really enjoy that page. Yeah, yeah, that is cool. That is a cool commentary. I mean, you have this character who was probably just a gag, right? Just created, like we say. He would toss riddles at the hero. But here he is, like, questioning how dark things have gotten. I just mm -hmm. enjoy that. And he even gives like a, a shout out in that top middle panel to a lot of the characters that were beloved staples on the 1966 Batman series. Yeah. So uh, I love that catch. Yeah. Marsha queen of diamonds. I mean, <laughs> I don't yeah. I, like, I never watched that show. I gotta admit, like I know oh, yeah? everybody yeah. knows the show, but like, I, I never watched it. Um, so I, those characters that he was citing there, I bookworm, King Tut, mm -hmm, Egghead. Mm -hmm. I know Egghead from Marvel, but not from, not from DC. Played by Vincent Price. Oh, really? In 1966. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Worth, worth a YouTube, worth a YouTube check out. And, and you have to YouTube the scene where the Joker and Batman have a surfing contest. That's also classic with shark repellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think I have seen clips from that. That was, that was hard and hard to get through. I thought you meant like hard as in hardcore. Like, yeah. This yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I was trying to also find the part where he talks about, and maybe, maybe it was a different story. Where he's talking about um, Gotham. Um, oh, here it is. We're trying to survive in the city. It's huge and contradictory and dark and funny and threatening, but we need it. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's good, sometimes it's bad, but it's ours. I don't know. Thought that was interesting commentary as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm definitely, I can see that um, being, you know, an, an interesting exploration from neil gaiman and they're in this place called finger yard you know so yeah. it's kind of a a throwback in and of itself yeah and, you know this is one of the one of the hallmarks of, of comics i feel like is like just being able to capture the visual as the as the characters are saying it because you know when you read a novel it it's all in our minds uh, and of course you have it in the movies so I guess it's similar to that. But when he's talking about Gotham City, they pull back and you can see Gotham around them where they are right then. And mm -hmm. I just appreciate the the imagery that goes into a lot of these comics, how they represent the the ideas that are being spoken right there on the page. Always 
appreciated it. When you were talking about the cover and Brian Beland doing that background with the money, like I'm just struck by the intention that people have to have. And, you know, if you put something on the page, it's there for a reason. Yeah. There's a reason why this story is called finger yard. There's just, there's a reason why that worm kind of connects down to that circle panel, which kind of mm-hmm. looks like a question mark, you know, all of it's really yeah. intentional design. And uh, I'm not going to say that everything that happens on a comics page is there because somebody's being meta. I don't, I don't think that, but uh, it's definitely something that takes some time and some thought to do in an interesting way. Absolutely. It was a great pick. I really enjoyed it. I am so glad. I'm so glad. And I enjoyed reading Secret Origins, The Flash. Um, would also recommend issue 44, the the Clayfaces issue as well, if you're on a Secret Origins excursion. Yeah, I will check that out. Um. <clears throat> Where are we headed next? Well, that was a pick from me. And I think the the pick before last, uh, or before this one, was a you pick. That was a Superman. Uh, we were talking about Marv Wolfman earlier. I think, did, did Marv Wolfman write that issue of Superman Action Comics we were talking about? I think he did. Yeah, I believe uh, so. I think he did. I mean, I wouldn't swear to it, but that seems right. Yeah, yeah. Um so I believe the next pick, sir, it's your pick. Well, I'm excited to uh, discuss Conan with you. Yes. Um, yep. There's a new Conan series, Marvel. Well, Conan's bounced around, and I'm sure I'll cover some of this in the uh, podcast, but he's bounced around between different publishing companies. Uh, but right now he is at Heroic Signatures. Um and I do not know if I haven't done my research yet. I don't know if Heroic Signatures is owned by um, somebody that maybe is a little bit more recognizable. Um, but it's a new series. Marvel lost the rights. They had it for a few years. Uh, they had it back. But Heroic Signatures has really hit the ground running. A lot of people are talking about uh, yeah. the Conan series. Um written by Grim Jim Zub. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I will have to look up his name, but I think it's something like Roberto De La Torre. Uh, yes, I think you're right. Yeah, Who is very much in the style of uh, Big John Buscema, mm-hmm. who, um, who, who really brought Conan to the, the masses with the Marvel series. So um, it's a good series. Uh, the first arc is done. It was four issues. So uh, I'm excited to at least talk about the first issue with you. See, yeah. what, you, see what you think of it. Yeah, I, I read it when it first came out just a couple of months ago. And so I'm just honestly thumbing through it right now and looking at it um, and excited to dig in and, and talk a little bit more about it. And I, I do have to um, kind of norming norming norm referencing kind of things um can i bl- can i bring a plastic sword when we talk about conan um plastic sword or yeah. hyborian steel well the hyborian steel i don't really have any of that over here but okay uh, i got a, I, I got an extra oh um, yeah, yeah yeah so i'll let you borrow it before and that way we can just like sit here with our swords and discuss what's important in life 
And do I have to wear a shirt? Shirt optional? I think it's uh, definitely optional. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Sounds uh, good. All right. We can do our Arnold impressions as well. <laughs> oh, mine mine is not good. So uh, maybe you got something, but we'll, I don't we'll really see. have much. Okay. I threw in some Mark Hamill Joker this time. Um, well, so it's pretty we'll, good. We'll see. I tried on the spot, you know, that eulogy yeah. scene that he does in the animated series. That's a yeah. classic. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, as always, it's been fun. And if uh, anyone wants to email us, that would be very welcome. We'd love to hear from you. Hear about what Jason is doing right and hear about what I am doing wrong. And then you, you we are can, so humble. You are so then, humble. Well, then, <laughs> I, I don't think so. And then we can talk about it. And I'm looking up to make sure I have it that it is, yeah, the comic obsessive at gmail.com. Emails uh, are just rolling in all the time. Oh, yeah. We had to hire an extra person just to deal with them. Yep. So, yeah. Um, but email us, let us know what's going on, and stay obsessive. Stay obsessive, everybody, about comics. About comics. And now for an official outtake from the Comic Obsessive. Please enjoy. Hello, and welcome back to the Comic Obsessive Podcast. I'm Jason. Nope. It's okay. <laughs> let's, let's stop that. Oh, it's good. I can...